sharing. Um, really glad to have y'all here. Um, for those of y'all who don't know me, my name is Andrew Brewer. I'm part of the teaching team here, uh, and I lead our student group as well. Um, whether this is your first time with us or 1,000th time with us, whether you're here in person from across town, from across the world, whether you're here with us through the live stream or the podcast, I'm really glad that y'all are here. Um, how many of y'all watched the royal wedding or any part of it yesterday? It's okay. You don't have to be ashamed to raise your hand. <laughs> um, Alex mentioned uh, the bishop from Chicago, Bishop Curry, um, who shared uh, during the wedding yesterday his sermon. And uh, I have to be honest, I, I went and listened to it yesterday. He turned me on to what he said, and I went and listened to it like three times. And uh, it absolutely shaped a lot of what I wanted to say today. Um, so in it, he mentioned this guy that I, I became really intrigued with. And I don't speak French, so I may completely butcher this pronunciation. So if you speak French, I'm really sorry. Um, his name is Pierre Teilhard de Chardon, I think. Um, my wife says that's a close enough pronunciation. He was uh, a French Jesuit priest, a philosopher, a paleontologist, a geologist. He uh, lived from 1881 to 1955. I mean, by that description, he's obviously a slacker and doesn't do a whole lot, right? <laughs> um, you know, he started describing this man, and I immediately became intrigued by him. Um, among other things, uh, he studied uh, with paleontology early man. And one of the things that he uh, is more well-known for saying and talking about is the importance of the discovery of fire for early man. He claims it's one of the greatest discoveries, if not the greatest discovery that humankind has ever had. Now, at first, I wasn't quite buying that. And I was thinking, really? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we discovered. Is it really the greatest discovery? But then I started thinking about it. The ability to discover fire, to harness fire, to control it, all of a sudden gave mankind the ability to cook food that was once inedible, to purify water that was once undrinkable, to move into environments and climates that were once too cold, but now with fire, they can warm themselves. So mankind was able to spread and move to places where they weren't able to go before. Fast forward to the future, the Iron Age, the Bronze Age, the Industrial Revolution, none of it would have been possible without fire. I don't know how many of y'all drove here in a car today. I didn't see any horses and buggies outside, so I'm assuming most of us came in a car, if not all of us. Impossible without the ability to harness and control fire, right? Those tweets you send out, the, post, the Facebook posts, the Instagram photos, all of it impossible without fire. So as I started thinking about it, I realized, oh my gosh, it really is a huge discovery that we don't think about today. But without it, the world as we know it, our culture, our society would be nothing like what it is. But he then goes on to say, there's another fire that's waiting to be discovered by man. Another fire just as powerful that it will shape everything in the future if we can discover it. He says, that second fire is the power of love. He says, if we can discover the power of love, it will be so impactful, so world-changing, history-altering, that in the centuries to come, we won't recognize the world from what it is now. And I was so intrigued by that statement. 
as I began thinking about that, I began looking at, re-looking at the text that we're looking at today in 1 John 4. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this text is almost like a map to how we discover this power of love. Because I believe that that second discovery of fire, as he talks about, is right before us and in our text today. So as we jump into the text, we're going to be looking at it as a sort of map. I want us to kind of have that in our head, that this is a sort of map for us to discover this world-changing, history-altering power. So if you have your Bibles with you, your smartphones, whatever you're looking at this on, screen up here, um, let's jump into 1 John 4. Starts out, My dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying preachers loose in the world. Here's how you test for the genuine spirit of God. Everyone who confesses openly um, his faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who, came as, who comes as an actual flesh and blood person, comes from God and belongs to God. And everyone who refuses to confess faith in Jesus has nothing in common with God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist uh, that you heard was coming. Well, here it is, sooner than we thought. My dear children, you come from God and belong to God. You've already won a big victory over those false teachers, for the spirit in you is far stronger than anything in the world. These people belong to the Christ-denying world. They talk the world's language, and the world eats it up. But we come from God and belong to God Anyone who knows God understands us and listens. The person who has nothing to do with God will, of course, not listen to us. This is another test for telling the spirit of truth from the spirit of deception. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other, since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God, because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love to us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that once we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, he says, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God, even, or ever. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us, and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. This is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him, and he in us. He's given us life from his life, from his very own spirit. Also, we've seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the Father sent his Son as Savior of the world. Everyone who confesses the truth of God, confesses that Jesus is God's Son, participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. We know it so well. We've embraced it, heart and soul, this love that comes from God. God is love, he states again. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God, and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us, so that uh, we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling. 
a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love, love and be loved. First, we were loved. Now we love. He loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Y'all have to be honest. In preparing this week and reading through this text, I was sorely tempted to just get up here and read that and just drop the mic and walk off. I mean, it, it covers about everything that needs to be said. There's so much here. It's so rich. It's so dense. What more could I possibly add to it? But I want to go back to that idea of a map, that question of the power of love, that world-changing, history-altering power. I mentioned, I believe, it's, a, it's right in front of us in the open. And then we want to look at this as a sort of map. Well, any good map, as you might have learned in elementary school, if you can remember that far back, I know I barely do, any good map has a key, right, to help the, the reader understand what the map's all about, how it's laid out, what the different symbols mean, things like that. Well, I believe the first part of this passage is our key. In verses 1 through 6, um, we deal with things like truth versus lies, spirit of God and the spirit of the Antichrist. People belonging to God versus people belonging to the world. You know, I believe it's the spirit of God, of truth. That's the key to helping us understand this map that's before us. To help us discern this map and which people, which paths are leading us towards life and love and which ones are leading us astray. And the test is simple, it says. How do we determine what's of the spirit of God and what's not? The author says quite clearly, anyone that confesses Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as a uh, flesh and blood person, that person is in God and God is in them. Very simple, very straightforward. The Spirit of God enters into us, y'all. Whenever we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, when we commit ourselves to that truth, to following him, it's a, a miraculous, supernatural thing. I mean, the Spirit of God, it's not just a truth that we know. It's a truth that comes to dwell inside of us. It infuses us. It's woven into our very being, our very nature, when we choose to follow him. It's a spirit that is so powerful. The author here says it is more powerful than anything, anything in this world. The spirit that dwells inside of us. This, y'all, is the key to our map. If we don't get these first six verses, if we don't believe in this truth and let this truth, the spirit of truth, become a part of us, we're not going to be able to understand what comes next the Holy Spirit inside of us that is the key. So when John says in verses 7 and 8, as we carry on through the passage, my beloved friends, let us continue to love each other, 
Since love comes from God, everyone who loves is born of God and experiences relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because, because what? God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. So walk through this with me. We have the spirit of God in us, right? When we choose to accept the truth about Jesus, to follow him. We have the spirit of God in us. And what is God? He's love. I don't know if y'all picked up on it. It's kind of hard to miss. It's like 20 times he mentions love other people, right? There's this command that he keeps saying over and over and over again. Love other people just as Christ loved you, just as I have loved you through sending him. Love other people. Y'all, we have love inside us. If God is love and God is in us, we already have this history-altering, world-changing power of love inside of us. So, if we have this love inside of us, if we can agree to that, that we have the Spirit of God, which is love inside of us, the question I have this morning is, what does that God love look like? I mean, love other people, great. We can all agree to that theoretically, right? Loving people is a good thing. I don't think anyone in this room would say that's a bad thing. But what does it look like? In verses 9 and 10, it says this is how God showed his love for us, right? He sent his son to do what? To die for us on the cross. To clear away our sins. To make a way for us to know God. Our love should mimic that. There's a power in this love, y'all. A power beyond belief To borrow again from what Bishop Curry said during his sermon yesterday. He says, there's power in love to help and heal when nothing else can. There's power in love to lift up and liberate when nothing else will. There's power in love to show us how to live. Think and imagine a world where this kind of God love is the way. Imagine what our families would look like if love is the way. Imagine our neighborhoods, our governments, our business, our commerce, if this kind of love, this God love, is the way in which we operate and live. When this kind of love is the way, he says, no child will ever go to bed hungry again. When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth will become a sanctuary. When love is the way, we'll lay down our swords and our shields. When love is the way, there's plenty good room for all of God's children, regardless of race, of gender, of age, of where we come from. There's room for all. When love is the way, we treat each other like we are actually family. Not a broken, messed up family like so many of us sometimes experience. A loving, God-centric family. When love is the way, we know that God is the source of us all and that we are brothers and sisters in Him. When love is the way, there's a new heaven, a new earth, a new world, a new human family. My dear, dear friends, the author goes on to say, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever. But if we love one another, 
God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. So let me ask it again. What does this love look like? What does the sacrificial Jesus-modeled love look like for us today, now, in this world, in this place? I would argue it is just as creative and imaginative and powerful as God is. Because God is love. They're one and the same. It's not a bland, static, far-off, theoretical love where we can ascend to the idea of loving people but not actually live it out. It's custom-formed into the shape that will directly touch each of his children's heart in a way that speaks deeply and lovingly to them, I believe. It may be a small act of kindness. It may be an encouraging word, a well-timed hug to a friend. It could be something like getting involved in a local ministry that's serving the needs here in Fayetteville. It could be something as simple as going out to our little free pantry and putting some food in there for someone. It could be going to Ukraine to love on our brothers and sisters and encourage the people who are working hard for the gospel over there. What it is, I would argue, is actually not the point of all of this. The point of it is that we are turning to God to understand how to love his children. If we are filled with the Spirit of God, if we are filled with love, this is the same God that knows each and every one of us, our needs, our wants, our desires, so deeply that we ourselves don't even understand ourselves that well. This is the God who lives inside of us and is teaching us how to love. We should be turning to him. We should be asking on a daily basis, God, give me the eyes to see the people around me as I walk into the store, as I'm driving down the street, as I'm going about my day-to-day actions. Give me eyes to see your people, your children, as you see them, and teach me how to love them. Give me the right words, the actions, the resources, whatever I may need, God, to love on your people. That's what I think this love looks like. An example comes to mind as as I think about what this love could look like. This is not a formula. It's not, there's no right or wrong way necessarily to do this. But in college, I had a roommate named Adam. And we were just getting ready to start, I don't know, I think it was our junior year of college. And we had a house together on the west side of Fayetteville. I was heading back from class one day. And uh, there's a man on the side of the street who said, need food on a sign. Oh, well, he was really close to a McDonald's. So I just hopped through the drive-thru and bought him a meal. And you know, I felt pretty good about myself. I patted myself on the back. Um, you know, kind of tooted my own horn for, oh, good, look, you helped somebody today. Um, I prayed for this man. And I remember praying, God, I pray that you would just continue meeting this man's needs, that you would continue being near to him, you would continue loving on him. It's a very um, far-off kind of theoretical love. God, just, just love this guy. And then I kind of went on with my day, as one is prone to do in those scenarios. And I had a few errands to run, and I you know, went around town doing a few things, and I came back to my house. And guess who's sitting in my living room? My roommate Adam and this man named Byron, who I just bought a meal for. And my thought is, hang on, what's happening here? 
And Adam stands up and he introduces me to this man. He says, this is Byron. And I said, I know. <laughs> I literally just prayed for this guy and bought him a meal like three hours earlier. And uh, Adam said, you know, I was driving down the street and knew it was supposed to be cold tonight and really felt like God was prompting me to invite him to come stay on our sofa tonight. And, you know, when you pray for someone to help a person in need, you don't always expect it to hit close to home. Or, in this case, in your home. (laughs) But it did, because the Spirit of God was moving. And for some reason, it prompted Adam to bring this man home. And, you know, I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, maybe I wasn't listening. I don't know. I don't really know what I was thinking. But all I knew is, this is incredible that God would connect both of us with the same man on the same day and that he would be brought into our house. And we ended up building a relationship with him. He actually ended up staying with us for a while. He ended up getting a job while he was with us. We ended up just trying to do what we could to love on him. Well, a few months went by, and he stayed with us for quite a while, and he was doing quite well. We were just doing as much as we could as college students to love on someone that we really had no experience or know how, how to help. And it seems like his life was getting better. And we were, you know, thinking, wow, God, let's keep doing this. Keep this ball rolling. You know, how do we keep helping this man? Well, kind of fast forward to the end of all this. I'd love to say that it all wrapped itself up with a nice, pretty bow on top. That loving this man or trying our best to love him resulted in drastic life change. That it resolved in him being able to turn his life around by getting some extra help. But honestly, it didn't. One day, we got a text from him saying he was out. He'd just blown through all of his money, and he didn't really want this anymore. He didn't really want to be helped anymore. Honestly, it was heartbreaking because we had poured a lot of time and energy and love into this guy. We wanted the best for him. But y'all, love doesn't always work out like that. Um, Yeah, uh, the results of our love, I would argue, are not the point. I think that's one thing I learned from this story, from this experience. The results of how we love people aren't the point. It's the fact that we are pouring out love in the first place. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Jesus came and he poured out everything for us. Not knowing, not having a clue. Well, I guess he did have a clue. We don't have a clue. But knowing full well that that love may not be received and reciprocated by everybody. Yet he loved us anyways. I would argue that that's the point of this love. When we are filled with his spirit, with his love It's not about results. And that's hard for someone like me who's very results and goal-oriented to think about because I want all my actions to have nice, clean outcomes. But it's not always that way. This kind of love that Jesus shows us, that he models for us, it's selfless, courageous, and terrifying. It goes completely against human nature to open ourselves up to potential hurt and pain, to open ourselves up in a way that someone may 
take that love and throw it back in our face or completely ignore it. So why would we ever want to do this? I mean, seriously, why would we ever want to put ourselves in such a vulnerable situation to pour ourselves out in such a way that we could be hurt? I know I don't really want to do that. If I'm being completely honest, that is not appealing to me. Well, as if the author, John, knew that this question would be raised, or this idea would come up, he kind of addresses this in verses 16 through 21. He says, when we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love, he says. Why? He says, love and be loved. First, we were loved. Now, we go out and love. Well-formed love banishes fear, y'all. What does that mean? I know I've read that numerous times. And it's a great thought, right? We love to put it on coffee cups. We love to, to think about, in love, there's no fear. But what does that look like? I don't know about y'all, but I still have fears. I fear what people are going to think about me. I fear death sometimes. It's not really a fun thought. What does that look like for love to banish fear? At my house right now, as I was thinking about this, I realized I actually kind of see that happen on a semi-regular basis. See, when a thunderstorm rolls in at this point, two things happen. First thing, when that first rumble of thunder hits, Micah comes running in, my six-year-old, and he says, Dad, Mom, was that thunder? Is there a storm coming? Is there a tornado coming? And you can see this panic rising in him. He has this fear of storms. He has this fear that a tornado is going to come and bulldoze our house. Second thing that happens, our dog Howie begins going nuts. Now, he hears thunder, and of course, he just becomes a scaredy cat at that point, right? <laughs> and he, he just he wants safety. He wants cover. He wants it to go away. So what happens in that moment? Well, as parents who we want to do our best to love our kids and our dog, we, we invite them into our presence. We, we talk to Micah. We, we grab a hold of him and we hug him and we say, it's going to be okay. We're keeping an eye on it. Just sit with us. Be near us. And you know what? Despite the fact that if a tornado is barreling down on our house, Jane and I have got nothing we can do. I mean Nothing. We got a mattress and a place in our house where it's probably safer than other spots. But I mean, ultimately, what are we really going to do against nature? We got nothing. Yet, despite that, being in our presence calms Micah. You can feel his heartbeat slowing. You can see his body 
becoming less tense. And y'all, we're not perfect, loving parents. I don't think any parent would ever say that, that they are. We all know we make mistakes. But even in our imperfect ability to love, we see fear diminish in our son, even in our dog. I mean, we take care of our dog and we love on him. And when we let him into our presence, you can see even him stop trembling. I believe this is what happens when we enter into the presence of a perfect, loving God. It's not immediate. It's not always a permanent change. But when we are in the presence of a perfect love like God, our fears begin to diminish. We begin to realize that there is a God more powerful than anything we could possibly fear. This is what empowers us to love when love hurts, when love is hard, when love is scary, when love seems so much bigger than what we ourselves are capable of. This is the power that I believe the French Jesuit priest, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name again, was talking about. If we can discover this love for ourselves, if we as humanity, as a body of Christ even, begin to discover and live out of this love, the world will change. God will begin moving in a way we can't fathom, we can't imagine, we can't even conceive. It will be a second discovery of fire. Question is, Now that we know where this exists, where this lives at, where this love comes from, will you? Y'all, as the worship team makes their way back up onto the stage, it should be noted that today is Pentecost Sunday. Today we celebrate the fact that the Holy Spirit came and fell on the followers of Jesus, that he came to empower us to be his body in this world. He came to be a seal for us in Christ Jesus, to take away our fear, to be our guide, our counselor, our friend, our everything. As we enter into this time of worship, we're going to have an opportunity to take communion. This table's open to everyone who's seeking Jesus. We want you to come join us, to partake and the bread, and the juice today. As you do, I encourage you to think about what it means to truly have the Spirit of God inside of you. This is life-changing, world-changing, history-altering, that we have God woven into our very being because he chose to give himself to us. Let that be your meditation today. Let that be what you go out here thinking about. And I pray that you would ask God to open your eyes, to see through his filter, his lens, the world around you, and this week to go out and be his hands, his feet, to be like Jesus to the people around you. Y'all, thank you for being here.